You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. and value that Fred Rose chose Bermuda as his domicile of choice to set up the foundation for Bermuda insurance and reinsurance industry. It flourishes today. The Bermuda captive sector continues to record exponential growth over the last six decades. His legacy is continued in the industry by his son and daughter. Let's explore captives. In life and leadership, we all face the velocity of change across the global risk landscape. Prudent risk management demands diligent planning, control, and financing. The traditional insurance market plays an important role, yet over the centuries, past history shows us that there are times that commercial insurance coverage has been unavailable, lacked capacity, and flexibility, or worse, been provided with severe terms and conditions. For the regulated sectors, this raises the risk of not being able to conduct business. The need for an alternative risk transfer vehicle that's flexible enough to take control of the overall cost of the risk, the peaks and troughs, and manages volatility was apparent. Being both versatile and fit for many purposes, the Bermuda captives are serving and accommodating. Way shower Fred Rice was the grandfather of the captive industry. Being intentional and intelligent, Rice built on the idea of designing structures of self-insurance. It was all started by the American steel companies who could manage their own risks through a dedicated subsidiary. Rice realized that the concept needed to evolve. It needed flexibility and an innovative jurisdiction. So Rice pursued the concept of Bermuda, launching the first captive in 1962. By the 1990s, the captive insurance industry had become global, demonstrating the benefits the use of captives can provide to companies. The advantage of the captive option is that the control of insurance provided remains in the hands of the captive owner. This proves a major benefit in times when insurance cover can range from being non-existent or the emergence of new risks that need new resiliency. The evolving captive market evidences the evolution, transformation, and expansion of options available. For example, a sell captive, and there has been a boom, is another name for a renter captive or sponsored captive and can be used for securitizing risk. A group captive is a risk transfer alternative to traditional insurance companies. Across all risks and industries, new areas ranging from cannabis, crypto, to cyber risk exposure in the captive arena. Come for a walk down memory lane to me. It was the late 1990s and I had the privilege to chair and lead a Bermuda Insurance Institute subcommittee. We were tasked with coming up with ways to recognize and celebrate market leaders and lifetime achievers. Fred Rice was the first inaugural recipient of the Lifetime Achiever Award. Posthumously, Fred's son, Jonathan Rice, daughter, Nicola Rice, and widow, Debbie, 
received the award on Fred's behalf at the industry dinner held at the Hamilton Princess in Bermuda. Launched in 2016, the Fred Fry's Lifetime Achievement Award selects Bermuda professionals who've made an outstanding impact and valuable contribution on the captive insurance industry. Recipients have been Jill Husbands, Michael Burns, Brian Hall, Jeremy Cox, and Kathy Duffy. I wonder if Fred Rice would be pleased to know that Butler's Lacey School of Business has a Master's of Science in Risk and Insurance, a program that provides the best of both insurance worlds. They have specialized courses in property and casualty, employee benefits, and the operation of a captive insurance entity, the only student-run captive in the world that started off in Bermuda. All of this is paired with foundational business courses that you would usually find in an MBA program. Captives demonstrably show Bermuda continues its resilience and innovation to meet capacity and expansion in times of novel risks. Fred's son, Donovan Rice, shares his memories of his father's insights and contributions to the sector. This industry nearly did not land here. It could have very easily gone somewhere else And boy, what a difference it makes, because when you look at companies like Ace that are going into underwriting satellites and rockets, which is amazing, we wouldn't have this technology and the Internet of the Stars coming up without that kind of underwriting as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. A lot of credit needs to go to, there was very innovative people at Lloyd's of London who without them, Fred probably wouldn't have been successful. And there were people in Bermuda who helped him in a way that wasn't available elsewhere. I do want to make one other little historical point because I think people always enjoy this. But the term, you know, my father was credited with coining the term captive. And a lot of people in the industry, including people who have worked in the captive industry all their lives, don't know where that term came from. And it came from actually the steel industry. The steel, big U.S. steel companies, their factories would shut down if they didn't have enough coal. They, they relied on the delivery of coal. And sometimes there was blockages to the delivery of coal, and these big companies would get frustrated that it would cost a lot of money if their factories had to shut down. So they ended up doing vertical integration. They ended up buying their own coal mines, didn't have to rely on other people to deliver their coal. And the mines that each steel company owned were called captives. And so that's where the term captive comes from in the insurance industry. So it's basically from coal mines owned by steel companies. How interesting. I did not know that. In fact, my next question was, how did the term come about? Yeah, that's a great question. I was good at accounting. So I'm going to go on. I was fortunate enough to get a job at a big four accounting firm. or a big six back then. And I just thought, well, I'll get my CPA. And then at least I'll be able to put food on the table because I'll have a CPA. And that will ground me. It was a smart move in hindsight, but I ended up actually really, I never thought I'd stay in the accounting profession, but I, I did. And I was very lucky because a young professional entering the workforce, a Bermudian, frankly, white Bermudian back in the early 90s, entering the workforce, it was a hard not to do well because there was a lot of doors being opened and the international business sector was booming. But I stayed at E&Y, the accounting firm, and I ended up becoming a partner. So I did okay for myself. It all started with just trying to figure out what well, better get myself a professional designation so that I grounded. I do actually recommend though, an accounting degree, a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to do that. But actually, getting a professional accounting qualification like a CPA doesn't mean you're stuck being an accountant. It's a great grounding. You can achieve that by the time you're in your mid-20s. You can go on in any direction. You can form your own business, do whatever you want. It's a great training ground. So it worked for me. Was it easy for your dad in Bermuda? 
No, I don't think it was. One thing that's a little bit unfortunate for me is that my father passed away in 1993, and that was the year I graduated from university and started work. I was too young. never had a chance to really talk to him in depth about the insurance industry. I would love to have a chance to do that, but I wasn't knowledgeable enough about the industry when my father died, so I didn't always get his views. But I do know, Bermuda was a hard to describe, but, you know, because I was young, I'm inferring some things from what I've learned, but it was a strange place for me when my father arrived. I think the best way I can describe it, it was a little bit like a Southern American town. There was a lot of racism and I think a lot of closed-mindedness. A relatively small group of powerful families controlled the economies. Some of them were really nice people, but some of them were the opposite, were really horrible people. It's kind of stereotypical Southern American sort of town. The pain of bad behavior from that era still haunts us today. And my father wasn't actually particularly welcomed into the community by quite a lot of the more closed-minded types. But clearly there were people that welcomed him, cite Arnold Francis, who was a horrific lawyer, who was one of my father's great friends. And Arnold's son, Donnie, is a very good friend of mine, as actually Arnold's daughters too, and Bermudian family that welcomed my father. And Arnold was basically his Bermuda lawyer. It looks like maybe you know who Arnold, Arnold was. I assume you crossed paths with him in the legal world. Oh, Paula Cox, his daughter, was my pupil master when I got called to the bar at the Bank of Bermuda. Okay, amazing right. family, powerful family. My father had some great friends, but there was quite a lot of people in the Bermuda community that turned their back on him. They didn't like, in their minds, flashy sort of American chef. But I don't think he ever bothered him. He traveled so much and he was so intent on entrepreneurs that achieved big things like he did. He was just focused on what he was achieving. And some of the smaller minded people in Bermuda didn't really bother him too much. I think he's somewhat oblivious to them. But it's one of the things I always find interesting that in Bermuda today, there's some concern about expatriates on the island. There's always been a tension, but I like to remind many of my Bermudian friends that it was really sort of world-class business people that arrived in Bermuda in the late 80s and 90s, not just my father, but people like Brian Dupereau and Brian O'Hara, Michael Butt, and people like that, that they brought a tremendous change in the business culture on the island, and it was very much for the better. I'm not saying there still wasn't enough opportunity, there was still institutional racism and all that stuff, but they greatly improved the business environment and made it more inclusive. It's taken time to get better, but there was world-class leaders who moved to the island and made the place better. I like to think of my father as one of the first ones, but there was many others too at the Bermuda Insurance Institute that named him as the first market leader. Ah. And I have to say, very determined because I knew the history and I could see that without the captive, the layer, starting with the captive, we couldn't have opened up the other higher layers or those like the big steel companies or launching rockets. We're not going to be able to do these without those kinds of layers or stay in business without having alternative ways of creating risk. Yeah, well, first I should thank you for being one of the committee, the chair of the committee that nominated my father for that award. My father was given that award, and it was back then, the awards for quite a number of years were big gala dinner events. My father had the great honor, thanks to you and others on the committee, being the first ever recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award. And so I was there with my sister to, and my stepmother, Debbie, to posthumously accept the award. And Brian Dupro was the first recipient of the Insurance Person of the Year. Market leader, yes. Okay, so he was there, and so I met him for the first time there. And I ended up working for Brian at Hamilton Insurance Group many years later, so that was a wonderful connection. But even better, after I received the award that night, and I gave a little very short speech, I met my wife that night. Oh, my goodness. That yep. is wonderful. Yeah, my wife came up and met me, and I met my wife that night. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So I started teaching at the Insurance Institute in the late 90s, and then I took over doing committee work for them, which is how I ended up on the committee 
that was looking at the lifetime achiever and market leader. And of course, I knew the history for your dad because I had studied it, right? So of course, I'm saying institutional history cannot be lost here. And recognizing this man posthumously has to be done, number one, first up, right now. Because we need to remember where we came from and the contribution we make on the global stage, how we go forward. It's a legacy that we could capture. And so it's just so lovely to hear that I was there at that dinner. I remember you giving the speech, but it's so lovely to hear that you also met your lovely wife. Yes, my my wife, Britt. (laughs) And actually, one other thing, that night was March 21st. It was my dad's birthday. My wife, Britt, and I, we believe in things. I mean, everyone's faith is a deeply personal thing, so we don't need to go off into tangents as to my faith. But let's just say I personally do believe there are powerful forces that make things happen. We humans don't always understand them or know what they are, but I believe in things like that. And it's not why I married my wife. I fell head over heels in love with her anyway, but it's just one of those things that my wife and I both believe that we don't think it was a coincidence. On a personal level, there was some financial challenges around some 19, mid-80s. There was a liability crisis, and he had the vision to not just do captives, but he also wanted to set up fronting operations, which made sense. And ultimately, other people did it too, like mutual risk management did that, and they had their own challenges. And so my father and some of the captive pools that were a good idea ended up being too much anti-selection. Some of them performed very badly for unfortunate reasons. So there was some trial and error, and there was, frankly, a lot of money lost as well as but at the end of the day, you made money or lost money, almost doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the lesson with him was that he created an industry and a movement. And you're right, you're a lawyer, I'm an accountant. It's, it's the accountants and lawyers that came along and built on the captive industry that we were there to support all the other innovation that's come since, so the big reinsurers and now insurance-linked securities and everything else. It's all built on the same foundation of expertise that the captive industry gave birth to. So that's his legacy, and that's a, a safe legacy. And for me, I'm just blessed because a lot of doors are open to me frankly, just because I was Fred Rice's son, and it's been really a wonderful journey for me. Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating, but more importantly, share with your connections.